Welcome to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a podcast designed for church leaders who desire to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey, and today we're joined by two very special guests, one of whom is my friend and recently married, Kelsey Collister, who actually produces and manages this podcast. She works behind the scenes and helps with a lot of our guests and editorial and um, and helping create questions. Kelsey, welcome. You've had your first few weeks of marriage in quarantine. How is that going so far? Married life is going surprisingly well. Um, (laughs) We've both really enjoyed being quarantined together aside from a recent case of poison ivy um, that drove me a little bit crazy had to go on steroids uh, but aside from that we've been uh, reading a book on marriage it's called the mystery of marriage by mike mason and that's been really enriching uh, and we've been playing frisbee on the golf course you know I like how you said it's going surprisingly well. And then in the next sentence, you said, and we have a case of poison ivy. So that is, I don't know, <laughs> it's all going up and up from here. So that's great. Kelsey, I'm so glad you get a chance to, people get to hear a voice now behind the podcast of who's, who's helping it go. But we have a very exciting guest. And part of the reason you're on is because this guest has had a profound impact on you and your relationship with Jesus, as well as the church. Um, we are very excited today to be joined by speaker, teacher, author, mother of five, wife of one, Leah Darrow. Leah, how are you doing today? We are so glad and honored to have you on the podcast with us. Oh, thank you so much. I love it. I'm so happy to be here with you. I am actually doing great. I feel like I can exclaim with almost the same passion the words of Joan of Arc when she said I was born for this. I don't know if it's because I'm married to a, you know, army green beret who's a little bit of a prepper. I'm not sure if it's that or if it's the fact that I have five small kids. And so I'm used to some level of quarantine life because I couldn't possibly take all my kids out in public right now because they would just something. Either way, I am, I'm doing surprisingly well and I'm quite happy with it and and I'm not bothered. I don't want to be insensitive to those who are having a hard time, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay over here. What are the ages of your kids for those of us listening? Yeah, that might help put some things into perspective. So I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a, um, wait, yeah, six, five, four, two, and then three months. My friend, I am blown away right now that you have that many children all in that. I mean, that is that and, and you're in your quarantine. You're like in home. And I'm assuming your husband, you said he's a firefighter. His, yeah, is, yeah. And his name's Ricky. I know his name from the from your podcast. Mm-hmm. So you're both busy. You're both working. My goodness. And you are thriving. Yes. Yeah, we're doing great. I mean, like, it's still chaos. It's the same chaos we had before this. Like, it's there hasn't been more chaos. Maybe I should say that. There's not more <laughs> chaos now than there was before. So I feel like everybody who's having a hard time, I just have big open arms saying, welcome to my life. Welcome, yeah. friends, to the chaos, the feeling like you can't go anywhere because you actually can't. But like, yes, I understand this. I, I love you. I have empathy for you. And we're going to get through it. It's like you wake up and you're in this blur. You don't know what day it is. You're not sure when the last time you uh, you brushed your teeth were. It is insane. Mother's Kelsey, uh, this is yes. 
Kelsey, you just got married. This is what you have to look forward to here. Hopefully there's never like a quarantine in, in your situation, but it's great to have both of you on. We're really excited about this. Um, and Kelsey, Leah, Kelsey and I are going to ask you some questions. And as we've been talking about um, this episode, we know, Leah, that you're really passionate about women's ministries. Um, you've spoken to women all around the world, tens of thousands of women. You've written great books like The Other Side of Beauty, and they've tremendously helped women navigate what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so to be on this Transforming Discipleship podcast, we just feel honored to have you. And when we started talking about having you as a guest, you were sharing with us and our team um, some things that you're excited about, in particular, the John 4 passage and the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, you, you started to have some reflections on it as you were talking with us. And we thought, you know, let's make the first episode just some of your thoughts and your heart around that episode and that story, which is so powerful and such a wonderful story um, that teaches us so much about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So why don't you just take us away, teacher, and, and maybe just take us through the contours of the story a little bit, and then you can share perhaps also why it's been on your heart so much lately. And then Kelsey and I will just kind of throw a few more questions at you as we go along the way. So Leah, tell us what John 4 is all about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to say, where do you start? But where you start is John 4. You just open up that beautiful gospel. <laughs> and I love in the very beginning in John 4, John 4, 4 uh, is a beautiful line. And it says, he had to pass through Samaria. That's it. That's all John 4, 4 says. He had to pass through Samaria. So this is Jesus we're talking about. This is Jesus, son of God, he had to pass. What I love about this is that it reveals to us that this is the mission of God the Father, that you are the mission of God the Father. God the Father had his son, second person of the Trinity, go on mission to find this woman, to encounter this woman. And sometimes we can feel so forgotten in this world and we can feel like, does God even know me? And right here, God is speaking through the spirit, through scripture, sacred scripture. And it says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Right there, that gets me. Right there, I'm like, stop, pause, meditate. You are the mission of God. It's your heart, it's your life that he wants to help heal and put back together and put on mission with him. Like, it's so beautiful. You could stop right there and be good but the Holy Spirit gives us so much more. And when you say that, it, it, it sparks the thought in me, like this is the very place that the disciples at one point in time want to call fire down upon. I mean, Samaria is the place of like, as a Jew, we don't go there. And here, he, like, like you point out, he had to pass through. That's, that's a powerful verse. Right. And there's so much of our life. I mean, there's so many beautiful analogies just with what you said. I mean, there's so many parts of our life that you feel like if God knew this about me or if they knew this about me, they would throw their own fire at me. Hate fire. They would say this about me. They would, I would lose my job. I'd lose my family if they only knew these things. And it's beautiful again, because God wants to part the division in your heart, and he wants to enter in. It's so, so rich. I mean, scripture is just that. See, it's so rich. It's so beautiful. And so right at the beginning, you see this invitation that the Holy Spirit is giving us as we read it, that mm -hmm. God the Father wants to pass through your heart. He wants to reside there. He wants to take a look and see what's going on. And what I love so much about John 4, there's so many things, and we can go into 
other pieces deeper later if we'd like. But what I love about this and what's always spoken to me in my life about John 4 is that it's this place where Christ comes and he encounters you as a person. Mm-hmm. And mm. I, I remember one of my professors told me, he said, God will never reveal your sinfulness without first revealing his love for you. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Like, That's beautiful. Yeah, it's like God's never going to come down and be like, look, you are a mess let's just list out the problems you got, you know, no, he's going to reveal his absolute love for you. And then he's going to start the hard conversation, the hard conversation that needs to happen. And I think that's a beautiful thing for all of us in ministry and who have these beautiful positions to, to engage and begin discipleship with others that at some point we have to have the hard conversation. Mm-hmm. But how do you have that? And Jesus gives us the most beautiful path because Jesus is the epitome of the question and answer dynamic. And so that question answer dynamic of what Jesus does means that Jesus poses questions to us, just as he does for the Samaritan woman, in which he is the answer. It's beautiful. It's the best psychology on the planet, right? He is going to ask questions that will make you search yourself, go back and see what's going on in your own life, that you can come and see these things with clarity. And then the answer to all of these of these problems, the answer to these questions is the person in front of you. And for the woman at the well, she encounters this beautiful dynamic of Jesus asking her questions that start that seemingly start on the surface level with just give me a drink to something deeper. And they go on about her life and, and he pokes and he prods and he asks the tough questions, but in such this beautiful, compassionate way that she responds and she answers. So it's beautiful. He asks questions. She reveals herself. She reveals her sinfulness. Jesus responds like, yes, you're right. You see this now. Let me now help you. She allows him to help you. He forgives her sins she accepts that mercy. And then what's so beautiful is that he then reveals himself to her. Mm. I love this. He takes his time. Yes. Yes. It's, it, it, there's, there's no rush in here. This, this is a beautiful unfolding. And he reveals his identity and to, at this point, as we understand in John's gospel, this is the first person probably outside of the inner circle of Jesus that knows his identity. And she's a, she, 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 she's a Samaritan. She's not a Jew. Like, this is, this is definitely somebody outside the inner circle, right? And she's a woman on top of that. Yes. Can we just There's mention layers that? Really? Layers. There's layers. So yeah. Many layers. And a woman who's got this history. So she's got all these check marks. And I love, Leah, how you just put that. He longs to pass through your heart. I think that's how you said it. And that's a beautiful way to say it. And then you said the answer is in front of you. And here is the answer in front of this woman. And she's almost, yeah, like you said, being unpacked in front of him. And then he begins to unpack himself as the time seems fitting. It's so Jesus, right? It's so Jesus. (laughs) This is such a Jesus thing to do where he reveals and he gets at the heart of what I think of a lot of, a lot of women. I can just speak as a woman. That's only, it's how God made me. So I, I'm, I'm going to go there. But he gets at the heart of what many of us deal with, men and women, where our identity is so 
wrapped up into something else. Mm -hmm. And so God wants desperately to get to that because even as Jesus is talking and revealing his identity, identity and a tenant of life and a tenant of the spiritual life is always that identity leads to mission. Identity leads to mission. When you misidentify yourself outside of as a son or daughter of God, of the redeemed Lord, right? Then you put on a mission more worldly, right? And it all follows through. But when you, you know, reorientate yourself back to Christ, when you know your identity in him, the mission changes, especially (laughs) if it was like the woman at the well, or a woman like me, which I very connect to that woman at the well on her past and all the crazy things. And Jesus calls her out and she's like, yep, you're right. This is me. And I don't, I don't, and you can tell she's almost screaming from, from in between like the lines I can read. She's screaming that she doesn't even want this. Like she doesn't even want this life. And she's like, no, you're right. This is my life. I don't even have a husband. You know, yeah. I, have, I have all these past encounters and it's just beautiful because Jesus tells her, you know, and she, she reveals like, you know, the five she's had in the past aren't her husband. The one she's with now is not her husband. So I had these six men, so to speak of, that are in her past that she's been with. This sin that is incredibly shameful for her and the whole, whole, her whole, you know, community and her village that shames her because of it. And what's interesting, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but follow me, follow me. Oh, you're good. We're with you. What's so interesting is that So she's had these six men in her life and this beautiful, the seventh man enters Christ. The seven, like seven's a pretty powerful number there. The holy number. (laughs) Well, and Leah, they're meeting at a well. Jacob's well, Jacob's well, where marriages took place, right? The holiest of holies. So Mm -hmm. it's, you have this amazing moment where you have this woman who is being redeemed right there in front of us as we read this scripture. And she, the seventh man walks into her life and says, you are not that anymore. Mm. You are not those, you are not your sins. You are who I say you are, which is redeemed daughter of the Messiah because he reveals his identity to her. And then you see later on, she goes on mission. She has this amazing courage, which is only but by, by the grace of this encounter with Christ, the redeemer that she goes back to her own town who knows her. They know her. You know what I mean? Like a lot of them know her, right? So she goes back and she has the courage. And what I love is that she learned so quickly from Jesus, this question and answer dynamic. She doesn't just go and like tell them, you all need to be saved too, because I just had this experience. You know, she just said, she asked them the question, could this be? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be? And she wants them to find the answer themselves. And so they go out and they meet Jesus. Jesus stays in the town and many are converted after that. There's just so many beautiful things in there. And you can imagine why anybody, like, why would you not love John 4? Because you could just, I have been staying there in John 4, I don't know, for the past 10 years of my life, I feel like God just continues to bring me back to this one piece of scripture over and over for just continued meditation. And so anyways, I love it. I think it's great. And I think everybody should love it. Yeah, I want to jump back to verse 16, kind of what you pointed out, Leah, about how Jesus was showing this woman sort of the obvious things that she knew about herself, that she had had you know, five husbands and was now with someone who wasn't her husband. He kind of showed her her sin. 
but yet he was also showing that he cared about her at the same time. I, I'm wondering, like in this case, like one verse stood out to me, she left her water jar behind and it seemed like in a similar way, you know, the the disciples, they left their nets behind. And I know that you left the modeling industry behind. So I'm wondering how you think people can encounter Jesus in this way that moves them to turn away from sin and, and leave everything else behind to follow him. Yeah, Kelsey, that is, it, it's so beautiful what you were just pulling out there. And, you know, we all have a thing. You know, Peter had the net, uh, the Samaritan woman, she had a jar. Obviously, one holds food, one held drink, you know, fish or water. And what's beautiful is they both left them and they followed the one man who would give them everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so we all have something that we can drop. We all have something that we can leave behind. We do. And it is a personal thing. It's what you probably don't want to deal with. It's that thing that right now you're trying to probably push out of your mind being like, no, 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 it's just, it's later. Um, it's too hard or I, I, I just can't right now. But that's the thing. That's your thing. And, it's a, and all I can say is that there's not a formula. It's a person. Mm. It's the encounter with the person of Christ that allows you to put it down and start the journey. I love how you're pointing that out and, and painting that picture. It involves us to be present and aware in tune with what's happening and what's going on inside of us, which really requires us to slow it down, to do some introspection, to take some deep breathing, to take a walk, to let scripture be a mirror on our lives, and to allow us to see ourselves in the sandals of this woman, uh, whether we're a man or a woman, and realize that we all need to meet Jesus. And I, and I love how it's at a well, like you were pointing out, Leah, and and we're meeting the bridegroom, the one who truly wants to be you know, the husband of the church collective, and that's rich and powerful, but we have to allow ourselves to, to be vulnerable, right? To be vulnerable and to be willing to be questioned and then to be honest about what's going on. You know, we're recording this during a time of COVID-19, and for me, um, I'm a dad of just two, Leah, not five, but it's been hard. My kids are little and, and um, we're both working from home and it's a, it's a challenge, as you know. But we have to be in these moments of honesty and, and vulnerability, just like this woman has. and Because our sins get exposed, right? The nasty comes out and we have to be open and ready to, to let that be. Yeah. Since my conversion, I was away from Jesus. I was away from the church for a very long time, 10 years. Um, or that's long to me. I know it's all relative, but I know that when I got to the point of just being really honest with myself, because I was like, <laughs> no one's going to do this for me. They're not. And if I don't sit and take a look at my life, no one else can change my life for me except me. God wants to help, but God's got great manners. He's going to ask, he's, he's going to give you the invitation, but if you don't accept, if you don't open the door, then he's on the other side of the door. And so it, it's, I just think that there's this, this desire that you might have of like, I want this to change. I want this to change. Like, 
then you have to do the hard work. I don't think sometimes we read John 4 and I don't think we give this woman enough credit. You realize that she did some really hard work at that well? You know how hard it was for her? You know how many quick and easy excuses it was for her to tell this Jewish man who's asking her for water to be like, hey, buddy, back off. You're not supposed to be here. This is not your part of town. I love it. I love it. You could have said all these things and so easily snapped them off, right? And she didn't. She just surrendered into this moment. She did hard work and we have to do the hard work ourselves. And this time, like you said, this time that we're recording this, it's during COVID-19 and this whole pandemic. And, and who knows? We could still be in this space months from now. I don't know. But the reality is, is that this uncomfortable time that we're in, regardless if, the, if we're kind of out of social isolation or not, discomfort will still find you. But what also finds you at that same time is opportunity. This is an opportunity to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity to take a look at yourself and see what you can what what you can lay down. What is God asking you to put down in your life? What is He asking? What in your life can you notice that you're filling yourself up with, and with the world, with just sin? What is it? What is that one thing that you keep going back to? You're like, oh, and then and then you have to keep saying, Lord, forgive me. Oh, Lord, 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 come in. Like, what is that thing? The Lord wants to help you work through that. It's not a magic pill, but it's a journey, and we all are called to be on that journey. It's refining in so many ways if we're willing to allow it to be. And, uh, and like Kelsey pointed out, we have the opportunity to leave behind that jar or, or those nets or whatever it is as we allow the refining process to take place. And it's so important, it's critical, it's how we grow, right? It's how we move from one spot to the next spot and doing something beautiful, to take your podcast name, doing something beautiful, uh, letting God do something beautiful in us. Mm. So I'm a guy and I was with a small group this morning actually, and this is often a struggle for guys. This woman was able to be vulnerable and open and honest. And in many groups that I've been around, in many counseling sessions, and many opportunities that I've been engaging with both men and women, I find women can be vulnerable easier, or at least most, easier than men can be. Not to say that men can't be, but why do you think that is, Leah? I mean, you're married. I'm, you know, I'm sure you've had many vulnerable conversations with Ricky. You know, a lot of guys. Like, what, Is there anything that you would say right now to encourage men to allow themselves to be vulnerable, what would it look like? Yeah, I think that, you know, for so long, and we won't go into the history of it really, but vulnerability has always been like, that's just a woman thing. Like women can be vulnerable. Women can be honest. Women can say the things and cry the tears and all that stuff. Uh, but I won't because I'm a man. And I think, we, first off, we've defined vulnerability incorrectly. I think we define vulnerability as this weakness that you're less than or that you're just too much. And so sometimes we think of the vulnerable person as like the people who just like vomit all of their feelings onto Facebook. And you're like, I think that you should pull back a little bit. <laughs> that's not vulnerability. Okay. That's right. actually a lack of, you know, wisdom and some other things. Boundaries. Boundaries that we need <laughs> That's a whole nother have. talk. That's a whole nother talk, Leah. We can have you back on for that one too. Yeah. Yes. Intelligence. Yeah, exactly, Kelsey. Exactly. We definitely need that conversation going on. But that's not vulnerability though. 
And so mm-hmm. I think we need to make sure that we're working off the right definition. Number one, vulnerability does not challenge your strength as a person. It challenges your weakness. Being mm-hmm. vulnerable challenges those weak parts of you that get at you of saying like, don't share, no one cares, uh, you've got nothing to say, people will think less of you. Those are all temptations really from the devil. That is not at all something we want to lean into. And we have to remember that our whole goal here is always to be Christ-like. How is Christ- And Christ was a vulnerable, vulnerable man. And so Christ was vulnerable in so many different ways. On the emotional level, yes, we know he was vulnerable. We know that, that Jesus wept, right? It's one of the shortest sentences in scripture. Jesus wept. We know that Jesus grieved the death of Lazarus. And so many, first off, he grieves us when we sin. Like he's sad for us. He doesn't want that, that separation from, from us and God the Father. Like there is a vulnerability about Christ. And then let's just look at the, the physical vulnerability of Christ on the cross, naked on the cross. It's a scandalous thing, but there's vulnerability there. So when you look at like what is vulnerable, you see this is actually a strength of being Christ-like when you are appropriately vulnerable and you address what's really going on, how you really experience something, how you feel. Those feelings are valid. Your actions because of them are not always valid, right? But we need to talk about how we experienced something and being vulnerable and being honest in that. Do you think that vulnerability involves becoming comfortable in the weakness in the situation to the point of we can just live in our own skin, regardless of how weak or shameful we feel for what we've done or what we've experienced? We'll just be comfortable. This is, this is me. I'm the woman at the well. I'm the, this is me. And knowing full well and discovering full well that, you know, in that in that moment, that is perhaps when we can be tr- loved at at the deepest levels by those around us. And God would would that be an accurate view of vulnerability? Yeah, I think so. It, it allows you to be in a place where you are a little stripped, and yeah. you are in a place where you're really expo- you feel exposed at times, mm. and that's okay. Especially when this, when when these moments of vulnerability. I mean, you have you. We need to be smart about this. It's not like we're asking you to be vulnerable in the public square about every single thing in your life or your marriage. No, but especially when you are in a place and in a situation where you are, you know that the next step is you being uncomfortably honest with who you are, which really is self awareness right? It's that deeper level of self-awareness. And the more self-awareness we have, the more uh, raw material, so to speak, that God can work with. And what's so beautiful is that God is not just going to, like he did with the woman at the well, God is not just going to leave you there in your vulnerability, exposed and stripped and just say, well, that's good enough. He's going to cover all of that. Yeah. He's going to cover you in his love and he's going to take you further with him. But it it does require us to sit and just be like, this is Lord, this is me. This is all of who I am. These are my problems. These are my experiences. And these are the things I struggle with and I don't know why. And then you can say all these things and and you don't have to have all the answers because you know that our Lord is the answer and he has all the ways that he's going to work it out. But it's so 
for us to move forward in our life, to move forward in this work and ministering to other people, we ourselves as leaders must become in a place open to being vulnerable and honest with who we are and who God is um, and allowing us to be in that relationship with him, exposed but still growing. It seems like one of the ways you've really done that, Leah, is kind of speaking to women about how they treat each other. And um, it seems like there's definitely a need for that, like inside and outside the church. And in this story, the woman at the well, it was obvious she didn't have a, a great reputation. And it seemed very possible that many other women probably hated her for all kinds of reasons, her being with many different men or I'm guessing she was pretty if she was able to get that, you know, get that many men. Um, <laughs> but yet she still shared her testimony and she didn't like stay in that place of shame after she met Jesus at the well. And I watched the season of America's Next Top Model you were on. And I know even in my own experience, women are so hard on each other, um, even sometimes in Christian settings to a fault. And I know you point out that women are called to contribution, not competition. How do you think that women can move beyond this competitive mindset? And how, how did you start to see women in a new light? Yeah, well, um, I realized that the problem wasn't with other women. Other women. It was with me. I had the problem. Like, it was me. Like, I, I saw them as competition because I was scared they were going to take something from me. Mm. And um, it could be anything. It's stupid. It could be anything, not just like a guy. It, it could be or silly things that they're just prettier than me or have smaller size than me. Or, I mean, it's, it sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But that's the reality for many of us as we, as we look at a, each other and we look at other women. And as a, we are so hurt, us women are so hurt really by so many other women. And I just noticed this on every level, especially when I was living for the world, so to speak, okay? When I was in my, in my life away from the Lord, far, far away from the Lord, um, it became even more glaring and obvious that we really are just hurting each other. And we're just wounded people wounding others because we're wounded and we all might as well be in the same boat, wounded together, so... Let's just keep going. And it just, the cycle keeps repeating itself of really abuse. And we've abused our sisters. We've, we've, the sisterhood that we're called to, this beautiful sisterhood we're called to, we've just, we've, it's such an abusive relationship for so long that I know for me, I had to start with like, what, Leah, what's going on? And I had to look in, I had to look in my past. And I also had to realize that from a very young age, because I had been hurt by so many other women who bullied me. And when I was in grade school, I was bullied in grade school all throughout grade school completely. I was always a person out. I was constantly made fun of, um, uh, pushed around, all of those things. And I began to, at some point, realize that I guess, I guess girls aren't nice mm. because that was my experience. And I was always gained up on in grade school. So I made the false you know, assumption that just girls aren't nice. And then, um, and then I would be one of those girls who'd be like, I only have guy friends because girls aren't, are nice. They're not nice to people. And so I just thought that girls were the enemy. I'm like, fine. You, you, if you're the enemy, then I'll be the enemy. And I'm going to be a better enemy than you. 
And then I, I just play that game. I can play. I, right. It's horrible. It's like, okay, you, you want to be a jerk? Guess what? I can be a bigger jerk than you. And like, you're happy that you're <laughs> a bigger jerk than the other person. Like what is, there's something so distorted and wrong, but we do that. And so I had to deal with my own stuff. And then I realized as I was dealing with it and I, you know, continued to deal with it, this is a problem on all fronts. After I had my big moment of my big conversion and coming back to Jesus and many years after that, actually getting into ministry and then getting in around all these other Christian women, I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought y'all were supposed to be better. And look at you. Look at you talking about Jesus, but being a big jerk to me behind stage. Like, (laughs) this is not okay. And I got hurt again. And I felt like I was like that girl in grade school again, like being bullied again. And I had to realize like, okay, you can become the victim, Leah. You can fall into this and be like, oh, girls are the worst, or you can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I decided to make a difference. And I was like, I won't do it. So I went out to those women who who were tough and I just was vulnerable with them. And I said, you know what? I really love the work that you're doing. And I was, I, I, I actually meant this. I wasn't trying to like say something, but I went to them and I just thought, you know what? They're hurting. They think I'm competition. They think I'm trying to take something from them because I saw myself in them. And I just spoke to them. I said, listen, I think that you're doing a beautiful job. And if there's anything I can ever do to help you, I'm here to serve. And I began to take on that servant attitude like Jesus. Jesus served. Jesus served. Holy Thursday. He got down on his hands and knees Mm. and he washed the feet of his disciples. He washed their feet. Can you imagine being one of those disciples? And as he's watching, washing the feet of the person next to you, you're just watching him. And then he gets to you and he sweetly and gently takes your feet and he washes them. I can't imagine that experience of like having Christ hold your feet and that's on the heels, Leah, of a conversation at the table about who's the greatest. The disciples have all been talking about who's number one. It's, a, it's in the context of a conversation about competition. And Jesus says, well, you want to be the greatest? This is how you do it. You contribute. You serve. And like you just beautifully and eloquently described, he washes their feet. Yeah, so you wash their feet. So if you're in a situation where you have that, wash their feet, serve, reach out. Like they probably, if you're encountering somebody in, in your life like this, they're hurt, they're wounded. They've been doing this for so long. They've been hurt by so many people and they can have any excuse they want. Trust me. I know I had plenty, (laughs) Uh, but we can't play that victim card anymore. You know, like we have to just say, look, I know you've been hurt, but I'm not the past. I'm not those people that did that. Mm -hmm. And you just continue showing up and you continue serving. And I think for women, we have a beautiful opportunity in the world to showcase an aspect of God that that men can't, you know, because we're women. (laughs) And we have an amazing opportunity, ladies, to be and to show Christ in the world. 
And I just think that we'll do that through contribution, not through competition to see that we are truly sisters in Christ. We are doing the best we can with what we got when we got it. God is not calling you to, to a stage. He's not calling you to a microphone. He's calling you in your own work and your own life where you are right now to embrace him, to serve him and serve others in that same name of Jesus. And so that is what we're called to do, ladies. And until we start looking at ourselves and seeing where we've been hurt, maybe by other women, addressing that, dealing with it, and then moving forward, we're not going to make any progress. Preach it, sister. I, I love- would just say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> From I, Through contribution, not competition. And in that whole context, Leah, as you have been describing it, I, I can't help to think about something that you said earlier, which is intimacy and connection with Jesus and the bridegroom and allowing him to to know ourselves and to be forgiven and to receive his love always leads. It compels us, right, to mission, to contribution, to serve. Uh, and, and you are doing it in so many ways, right? I mean, you have been – we see it. We see it through the books you write, through the ways you teach, through the person you are, the mother you are. Um, and – and, you know, Kelsey and I have been talking about your podcast. And, Kelsey, you shared with me the podcast. And, Kelsey, I want, I want you, you go ahead and ask this last question because you are the one who, um, who, who brought it to my attention. So go ahead and maybe you can cap the episode off here with this, this final question. Yeah, well, as you were talking about how Jesus washed the disciples' feet um, and he really showed them how to be humble, like, that's how we can be more like Jesus. I know on your podcast, uh, the Do Something Beautiful podcast, you often say it's inspired by a quote from Mother Teresa to do something beautiful for God. And one of my favorite quotes um, from her, she says, we are at Jesus's disposal. If he wants you to be sick in bed, if he wants you to proclaim his work in the street, if he wants you to clean the toilets all day, that's all right everything's all right. We must say, I belong to you. You can do whatever you like. And this is our strength. This is the joy of the Lord. I'm wondering, what do you think about this quote? And can you share with us the moment you discovered Mother Teresa's work and how she became an inspiration to you? Yeah. uh, First off, what do I think about that quote? There's nothing else to say. I mean, she said it. She always makes me smile. You know, whenever I think about her and I think about her love for the Lord and how much she was so comfortable loving Jesus, the person of Jesus, not just this arbitrary name, not a story in in a book, but the person of Jesus, that she was fine talking about him with anyone, with the atheist, with the Hindu, with the Muslim, with anyone. And it was a person that she loved and she mm-hmm. lived her life by. So it, it just was natural. It became this natural expression of her identity. And I love that. And the fact that she would just say, you know, we are all at Jesus's disposal. We are. I mean, whenever you, whenever you fully give your heart and your life to Christ, um, he accepts. And he's ready to put you on mission with him. And, and that could be in any, any, any way in whatever way that God is calling you in your own particular vocation of wherever you are in your life. And so I think that that's really important just to remember that 
we don't need a certain, it's not like it's a certain time. It's not like Jesus isn't a startup. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he's not like a startup business where you're like, well, let me get these other things in order first. And when do we Mm -hmm. launch it? And how are we going to like, it's the long game. And so Mm -hmm. you just begin where you are and you just go a little bit each day. It's the long game with Jesus. And I think, I guess to get back to like, with my podcast called Do Something Beautiful and how that started, it was, I feel like I've always known about mother. Um, I mean, she was already alive before I was born. So I guess that probably helped. But I mean, I think most people know something about Mother Teresa. And for me, I remember, I remember vividly when she came to the U.S. once and she was giving a very, very small talk to a small group of people. And um, most of them happened to be women in this very small room, private room that she was talking with. And she was sharing just some personal things of her life and what was going on back where she was. And one of the women stood up and was so moved. You can tell was generally moved by her. And she was like, I want to go. I'm going with you, mother. I'm going with you back to Calcutta. I'm going with you back to Calcutta. And she was just saying, like, this is it. You could not change this woman's mind that she was telling this to mother, you know. And mother looks at her and she's this short, tiny, you know, woman. And she has her finger up and she says, no, no. The whole room were like, oh my God. What are you doing? Mother Teresa tells you no. What are you just looking back and forth? Like this is happening in front of me right now. (laughs) No, no. She says no. And then she tells her, you cannot do what I do. And I cannot do what you can do. Mm. Go find your own Calcutta. Mm. And I'm assuming this is a Holy Spirit, you know, inspired moment. Um, But it was so teaching to me as I watched this unfold of mother is helping us. Mother Teresa is helping us understand that the Lord calls you in your own way, in your own life, at your own time. And the people that you're called to minister to, to bring Jesus to, keep in mind, it's Jesus at the center. It's not the ministry. It's not the mission trip. It's Jesus. That you need to encounter Jesus within you first, right? And, um, And mother was always talking all the time about the poor, helping the poor. And I think in the United States, it took, it's taken us a very, very long time. And I don't think we're still fully, completely open and aware that the poor that we are called um, to serve, the poor that is desperate for um, our help, if we don't first identify and know that that's us, I'm the poor. Have I opened up my heart fully for Christ to pour himself in. I am the poor. I am the one who needs so much. But if I don't see that I'm the poor, if I don't see that I'm the one with the problem, if I don't see that I'm the one with the need, then how can I go out and be Jesus and, 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 yeah. and, and to anyone else to bring the word of God, the mercy of Christ, to, to say something inspiring through scripture to somebody else if I don't know that I'm also the poor. And so for me, Mother Teresa has inspired me in that way, that I have this deeper self-reflection of who I am, that I am loved by God, but I am also in need. I am in need of a savior and I need Jesus every second, every day of my life. And that's the basis of my work and my ministry is really just proclaiming the mercy of Jesus Christ that he can change anybody's life with one, yes, one step forward towards the person of Jesus. Mm. 
Leah, I love how you just expressed that. And for those of you listening to this, the Transforming Discipleship podcast, we hope you'll tune back in because Leah, we're going to get to have a candid conversation with you again in an upcoming episode about exactly those things. How do we drink in the living water? How do we then become the spring of water that pours out for the world and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us in very many ways, like what Mother Teresa has done and what a powerful uh, what a person who is a powerful example of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Leah, we are we thank you so much uh, for your reflections and your insights on John 4 today. It has been an honor to be able to have this conversation with you, Kelsey. Thank you for being a part of it as well. For the ministry leaders out there that are tuning into this episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, it's brought to you by smallgroups.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, we're a new podcast, please rate us on iTunes. And also, please feel free to visit our website, smallgroups.com, to order books, Bible studies, training tools, anything that could help you build your small group ministry as well as perhaps give you space to have encounters with Jesus in a rich and meaningful way.